Everyone, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm absolutely thrilled that Steve has trusted me to, to come, and, come and share with you today. Um, just very quickly to, to introduce myself and, and the people that, that came with me. My name, my name is Sam, as Steve said, uh, from Faversham Community Church. I'm one of the elders there. I was brought into eldership in, in May, I think it was, of this year. So still very new to it, still trying to find my feet in some ways and uh, you know the, the new challenges that brings, but also a, a huge amount of enjoyment and fun I've had stepping into that as well. It's been really good, uh, a really good, good year in that respect. Um, Grew up in the church. I've always been a part of the church. I went away to university for three years down to Portsmouth. As soon as I finished, I came straight back home, uh, back, back, to, back, to, back to my family at home, not just in terms of my, my physical, natural family, but my church family as well. And I've been there ever since and just absolutely loving that. I brought my wife Steph with me. Had to make sure I say, t- say about you before James. That's the right way around, isn't it? So uh, my wife Steph, we've been married now. I, I did a quick count earlier for about six, 16 months, I think. So new to that, still trying to find my feet in marriage as well. Um, but just really having a good time in that sense and just, just still getting to know one another and, and, and enjoying one another. Um, if you've spotted Steph already this morning, particularly if you've seen her from a sideway profile. Uh, you will have noticed that Steph, Steph's pregnant with our first child. Uh, I think it's about five weeks away now, so we're, we're really counting down the weeks. Um, baby's due on the 30th of December, so it's going to be Christmas, New Year like we've never had before. So um, we don't know if we're having a boy or a girl, so it's gonna be, this Christmas will be a real surprise. You don't normally get many surprises at Christmas, but we will this year. And again, really, really excited, really looking forward to it fully aware that everything's going to change from that point on, but you know, we're really excited about what God's got for us as a family. Uh, and then I brought James with me as well. James, like me, he's a, he's a Faversham boy, uh, grew up in the church, his family was in the church. He went away, uh, did a year in London studying at music college, doing the drums, uh, and then he too decided to come back come back to his family here in Faversham. So it, and it's just great having James around. He's, he is a really good guy. If you ever get a chance to get to know him, get a chance to talk to him, you very quickly find out that he's a really good, a good guy. And he, uh, at the minute in church, he's got the responsibility for overseeing our worship team. Uh, and he's also cutting his teeth in preaching and teaching and that sort of stuff. And he's doing so very well. And he's a, he's a good man to have around and a really good friend. Um, he brews his own beer. So... <laughs> It's another reason. <laughs> if, if you needed another reason <laughs> to keep him around, there's one. So, um, but yeah, so it, it would be good if for, we'd all love to have a chance to chat to, to, a, to a number of you afterwards and have a tea and coffee afterwards. It'd be really lovely to, to get to know you. In terms of the church in Faversham, we have gone through the, the last, probably about the last three years, have, have been challenging but also really rewarding in what God, God's been doing. We, it was about three years ago, there were some big changes in terms of the, the leadership of the church that, that kind of rocked us a bit. It was unexpected changes, shook us a bit, and we had to have a period of time, probably for about a year, year and a half, where we just really focused on gathering everyone back together, really looking after one another, and, and just kind of building one another back up, re-establishing new leadership team and, and that sort of thing. And it, it did take a while. It was hard, but we learned a lot of valuable lessons, actually. It wasn't a wasted thing. There's a lot that we've learned from it that we know will stand us in good stead moving forward. 
And actually, God has just been so gracious and so good to us through everything. It has been hard, but just every step of the way, we've known God with us and really leading us and guiding us. And we're in a place now where we've, we've stopped the kind of... For a time, we had to be inward-looking. Just It was the right thing to do at that time. But now there's a real eagerness to be getting out and, and getting back out into the community and, and really letting Faversham know that we exist, but more importantly than that, letting Faversham know about God. And, and we've been doing some things, particularly in the last few months, where, where we've been stepping out. We've had opportunities uh, to do a thing called Make Lunch. I don't know if anyone's heard of Make Lunch, providing free meals in holidays for children that would normally have free school meals. And where that's not there in, in the holidays, we're, we're able to provide some, some meals and just bless people in that way. And we've also uh, been invited into to a, a nursing home in Faversham as well. They've asked us if we would have send some people in to run a monthly service there. So we're having these opportunities. God's opening these doors for us to, to walk into. So we're in a really good place at the minute. We're growing. We had baptisms the other week. We got to baptize four people. We had a membership court joining the church course the other week, and we've had three more, three more people say they want to commit themselves to the church. So in the midst of difficulty and challenge, we've, God's really blessed us, and, and we're seeing a lot of growth. And it's just, I'm just thrilled to be a part of what's what's going on there. So that's what's going on in Faversham. Is that all right as, as an update? <laughs> Brilliant. And um, I'd love being in a part of God's family. So even though we're down the road, probably about 10 miles away, I think in Faversham, coming in here, I know I'm amongst family because we've been brought together. We've been singing about being adopted sons, adopted sons and daughters into God's family. So actually, even though we're separated by geography, I know that actually we're all together in our heart and in the fact that we're all in family with, with, with God. And so coming in here, it's easy because we're, we're, we're among family and we're among friends. And family, I've been thinking about family recently, actually. Has anyone ever seen that program, Who Do You Think You Are? Have you seen it? It's a really fascinating program. The idea behind it is they get, it's usually a celebrity, isn't it? They get a celebrity to, to trace back through their family history, to look through their family tree, and then they pick out one or two people that they're going to spend time really discovering who they were and what they were like. And I think for a lot of people, understanding their family is a big deal because people want to know where they've come from. They want to know their ancestry. They want to know their history. They want to know what part they play or where they fit in in a much bigger picture, understanding that they're part of something that's much bigger than just themselves. And for those of us who have been brought into God's family, again, as we've been singing out about this morning, we've been brought into God's family through faith in Jesus. It's the scriptures, it's the Bible that reveal to us who we are. It's God's story. It's the story of his people. Which means if we've been brought into his family, then it's our story as well. So every time we come to look at the scriptures, we're actually gaining a better understanding of who we are, of our ancestry, of our history, where we fit in with things. And if I've got this right with this series you're doing in Genesis, that's pretty much the thinking behind it. Understanding where we fit in, in God's story. Looking at relationships in terms of how God relates to, to people, how people relate to one another, how we're meant to relate to God. And in, and in Genesis, as, as you're going through kind of this narrative story of the history of God's people, their history, God's history, is now our history. And it is so important that we give ourselves to studying the scriptures because it's by doing that that we learn who we are. 
We learn about God's plans and God's purposes for us. And this morning we're going to explore Genesis 16 together. So if you've got your Bibles or your history books, we can turn to chapter 16 of Genesis. And this morning we're going to explore this chapter together. And we're going to see how these relationships work out, how we're to work these relationships out. Before I read that, I just want to give a kind of a bit of background really, just to kind of set the scene into, into what we're going to look at, what we're going to read. So we've got this man named Abram. His name is later changed to Abraham. Chances are I'm going to switch between calling him Abram, Abraham, without even thinking about it. So if you think I'm talking about two different people, I'm not. I'm talking about one man. And Abram, in chapter 12 of Genesis, we find that he's called by God. And he's told that he's going to be the father of a great nation. And that this great nation is going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's what God says to him. At this point in time, Abraham is a 75-year-old man. He and his wife, Sarai, her name is changed to Sarah. I will do exactly the same thing with the names. And they don't have any children. It appears that Sarai is unable to have children. She's barren. And then in chapter 15 that you were looking at last week, it was Julian was, was speaking on that. I listened to it on the internet. It was very good. Uh, and, and in chapter 15, God establishes a covenant with Abram. What a covenant is, it's, it's a binding promise. It's a surety, something that God says that he will do and that he's going to remain true to his word. And the promise that he makes to Abram is that he's going to give him a son. And that this son will be his heir. And through this son will be the family line that he's promised to him. And then he uses this wonderful description. He says to look up at the sky and, if he can, to even try and count the number of stars because that is how numerous and how huge and vast this family is going to be. And we're told that Abram believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness. You see, it was his faith in believing God that God was looking for in that moment. He took God at his word and he believed him. So that's kind of the setting to where we're up to. So God's given this man, Abram, a promise that he's going to give him a son. But the situation as it stands at this point, Abram's in, he's in his 80s now, he and his wife, unable to have children. But God has promised him a son and an heir. So let's pick up at chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Abram, uh, Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. 
The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over all his kinsmen. She called the, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called... Oh, I've got to try and pronounce this now, haven't I? The, the, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abraham a son. And Abraham called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar brought Ishmael to Abram. In our church in Faversham, I have to be a bit careful about some of the stories I use. In as much as I, I love my sport. I, really, I, I like sport. I play cricket, play for a, just a pub team, three horseshoes. James plays for them as well. And I have to be careful because apparently there's so many, so many stories about cricket you can use in church, okay? Uh, it's not something that many people are very passionate about, so I have to be careful. But given that this is the first time that I've preached here, I'm gonna, I want to share a cricket story with you about a game that we played. It was the 25th of September, 2011. And uh, I'm one of the opening batsmen in the team, so I'm one of the first guys to go out and try to build a score for the team. And this day I was struggling. I was really struggling. I could get hardly any runs, couldn't score many, really struggling to hit the ball and not doing very well. But I kind of stuck with it, I persevered. As time went on, I got more comfortable in what I was doing. I started to do a bit better, started to get some runs. And then before I knew it, the crowd let out this mighty cheer. And I say crowd, there's about 12 people that come to watch us. Um, <laughs> nine of them are the rest of our team. So I got this 12 people cheering. And I realized that I've got to 50 runs. And in cricketing terms, that's pretty good. You're doing well if you get a 50. So I gave him a little wave of my bat, and then I thought, right, I'm going to get back to this. I got back to batting, and from that point, I felt a lot more confident. I was like, I'm doing well. And my batting got so much freer, and I was doing so much better. And I just kept going, getting, the sco- getting these runs. And it came to a point where the guy that I was batting with, he managed to get himself out. We're getting towards the end of the game. And new batsman comes in and he comes up to me and he says, Sam, you need five more runs to get your 100. And I'm thinking, why have you told me this? Because I know exactly what's going to happen now as soon as you tell me this. He said, you've got five more to get to your 100. If you can get 100, you know you've done a really good job. 100 is kind of like what every batsman wants to get. It's kind of the big landmark thing. You want something to be able to boast about. You want 100. And he said, you've got five more to get to your 100. And I'm thinking, oh, I can do this. Six balls left. Got six balls. I need to get five runs. Hopefully you can see where this story is going. Next ball, I hit a four. I'm thinking, if my maths is right, that means I've got one more run to get my 100. The next ball, I get one. I turn to the crowd, expect to hear this mighty crowd. It's now 13, so there's more people watching. And nothing, nothing comes from the crowd. And I think, oh, well, maybe I've got my maths wrong somehow along the line. I was like, I'll just keep going. The game carried on. I get another chance to bat, I get a four. 
I'm thinking, surely, surely I've got a hundred and still nothing from the crowd. I'm like, they, are, they must be winding me up, having a laugh. I've got it and they're just taking a mickey. But nothing. And then it's the last ball of the game. At that point, I think, I need to know exactly what I'm on. So I, speak to, I ask the scorer, and the scorers watched every single ball of the game. They keep a tally of who scored what, how the team's doing, and that sort of thing. I think, it's the last ball, I need to ask him. And he says, you need to get three more. I'm like, how on earth can I need to get three more? I've got more than I was told I had. And I've got one more ball. Last ball comes in, and I hit it, and I get one. I get one. And I'm thinking, this guy came in. I sound bitter. I'm not. It's been three years. He came in (laughs) and he said that I needed five more runs. The reality was I needed 12 more runs and I finished on a score of 98. And I was gutted. I was gutted. And I walked off that pitch and I thought I was listening to the wrong person. I listened to the wrong person. And the question really, that I want to ask this morning, is who are you listening to? It's my first point as well. I tend to do my preaches in three points. I like to have a bit of structure. It helps me to keep on track with where I am. So, and it's my first point as well, this question, who are you listening to? Because it's actually a very important question for us to ask. See, Abram, he's been promised a son, but there's a problem. And the problem is that his wife is barren. How can it be that Sarai will be able to bear Abram this son that has been promised? How can that be? You see, experience tells her that she's unable to conceive. Her body tells her she's too old. Their culture says that they should have had an heir by now. That's what culture is telling her. And all of these voices would lead Sarai to believe that she will not be able to give Abram what God has promised. And so what happens is Sarai seeks to resolve the problem of her barrenness. She seeks to find the solution to that. Said that culture said that they should have an heir by now, and it was their culture that also offered the solution. You see, in the time and place where they lived, if a couple were unable to to have an heir, to have that son to pass the inheritance down to, they had a sort it's kind of like a surrogacy in place where the husband would take the wife's maidservant and have a child by her, and then that child would grow up as his heir. And this is what Sarai asks Abraham to do. Now, some of you, probably many of you, are going to be carrying promises that God has spoken over you, things that God has said that he will do, plans that he has for you, purposes that he's got for you to step into. And as a church, I know that God's given you promises. He's spoken things over you as a church that he's got for you. God's given me promises. God's given our church promises. But just as with Sarai and Abraham, there are many voices that are wanting to have their say on if or how these promises are going to be fulfilled. Let me explain that a bit. You see, past experience will have something to say. Our past experiences will have something to say about whether God will actually come through with his promises. Our culture will have something to say about actually their expectations of what we should be doing. Science, our circumstances, and Satan, he'll want to be heard, he'll want to have a say. You know, when we're believing God for anything, 
Satan will start asking questions and sowing seeds of doubt. That's how he works. That's what he does. Questions like, well, how can you trust God in this when it goes against everything that is actually happening right now? Or shouldn't God have answered you by now? Weren't you in the same place a few years ago? And you're still here. And we need to be so aware, actually, that Satan's tactics today are exactly the same as they always have been. Genesis 3 comes to Adam and Eve, the first people that God created. And he comes to them and he says, did God really say? It's how he works. Gets us questioning what God has said to us. Gets us questioning the promises that God has spoken over us. And the challenge is deciding who are we going to listen to. Because there's going to be so many voices trying to get our attention, trying to get us to listen to them and to obey what they are saying to us. I think we need to actually acknowledge our circumstances and the reality of what we face. I think it would be foolishness actually to ignore the facts of things as they are. Because ignoring things, ignoring circumstances doesn't actually change them at all. I think we're to acknowledge our circumstances, but then we have a decision to make. We have to decide, we have to choose actually to consider what God has said, despite what our circumstances might say. It's a decision that we have to make. So how is it then that we can be so utterly dependent on God and trust in what he would say to us? Numbers 23.19 says that God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? You see, God isn't like you and me. I can say that I'm going to do something, doesn't mean I actually will. And maybe we've had experience of that in the past with people saying that they'll do something, making a promise, and then actually they were either lying or not going to fulfill it. But the writer of Numbers is saying, do you know what, God's not like that. God's not like man. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. If he says he's going to do something, then he'll do it. He's true to his word. You know, when I was playing cricket, there was only one person that I should have listened to. Only one person I should have listened to to see how close I was to getting my big century, my big hundred. And that person was the scorer. The reason I should have listened to them was because they saw the game from the first ball to the last. They saw when I was struggling they saw when I was scoring freely and a lot more comfortable. They could see the full picture of what was happening. And God is the only one who can see the whole of our lives as they truly are. He is the only one that has that big picture. Psalm 139 verse 15 says that my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know, God has known you from even the first ball has been bold. He's seen your struggles. He's seen your triumphs. And in God's book are the plans and promises that he has for us. If they're his books, he's the author. He's the one that's written them. It's not just up to the 23rd of November 2014. I'm hoping I've got today's date right. That's what I'm, it's not just up to today. But actually, all of the days 
that he's ordained for us. God is trustworthy. He is utterly reliable. He is unlike anyone or anything else. So again, we ask the question, who are you listening to when it comes to the promises of God? Because there's going to be plenty of voices that want to be heard. And verse 2 in this chapter in Genesis, verse 2 tells us very clearly who Abraham was listening to at that moment in time. It actually says that Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. That's who he listened to at that point in time. At their point in their situation, amidst the circumstances that they faced, he listened to his wife Sarai. And then what happens is that he takes Hagar as his wife. She falls pregnant with their son, with their heir. Second thing I want to say today is don't look for God. Don't look for good, but look to God. I'm just going to unpack that in a second. Don't just look for good, but look to God. You know, in terms of their culture, in Abraham getting Hagar pregnant, that was a really sensible thing to do. That was what the expected thing was. Actually, it was looked on very favorably. It's a really sensible decision that they made. It provided Abraham with an heir. It gave him his son. Psalm 127 verse 3 says that children are a heritage from the Lord. It means they're a gift, they're a blessing, they're something to be enjoyed. So the fact that Abraham now has a child, that's something actually, that's a good thing. It's worth celebrating. It's a son, it's a child, he's a blessing from God. And Abraham loved his son. He loved Ishmael. As the story goes on, you'll see there's a time where actually he's he's told to, to kind of push Hagar and and Ishmael out of their family to send them away. And it says that he's greatly distressed. The only reason I can think why he'd be distressed is because he loved his son and he didn't want him to go anywhere. And actually, as we look at this situation, there are some good things in there. You've got a father and his son. You've got this relationship that goes on there. Abram now has an heir. So there's a lot of good, but this is not the son that God had promised Abram. It was good, but it wasn't the fulfillment of that promise. What frustrated me most about my cricket match was that I waited until the last ball to ask the right person. I should have been a lot quicker in asking the right person. And 98 was a good score. It was good, and I am pleased with it. Despite how I might sound, I am pleased. But I know it it fell short of what it could have been if I'd only listened to the right person and asked quicker than I did, rather than leaving it to the last ball. Let me encourage you. Keep looking to God. Keep sharing your heart with him. Ask him to reveal more of his plans, more of his purposes for you. Ask him for wisdom and guidance as you trust him to bring his promises about. Don't just wait. We're not... As Christians, we're not fatalists. We don't just wait, oh, let's just wait and see how things work out. That's not how we're meant to be. We're people who trust God to fulfill his promises. But I think as part of that, he loves it when we come to him, inquire of him, ask him questions about what he's got for us, ask him to reveal more of it. Lord, can we see more of the picture that you've got for us? Give us wisdom and guidance as we do these things. We're not just fatalists, oh, what will be, will be. That's not what it's about. That's very different to having faith in someone or faith in something. We're called to have a faith in God. 
So there was some good, even in, this, even in this story in Genesis 16, there are some good things that have come about. But the human solution that they came up with actually brought about it some new problems as well. You see, Hagar, she didn't handle herself particularly well. As soon as she conceived, she, I think she considered herself to be better than Sarai in some way. She looked down on her, she despised her. And so it comes to the point where Abram sends her away. But God comes to her. God draws alongside her. And actually, despite how she's behaved, despite the fact that they've tried to kind of come up with this solution to the problem that they faced in their own strength, God blesses her. God gives her a promise. God shows her grace and mercy. What that means is that he gave her something actually that she didn't deserve, to be quite honest. The way she'd behaved was not right, and yet God said, do you know what, I'm going to bless you. And he gives her a promise that of a great family, just as he'd given Abram a promise, very similar. You're going to have a huge family, lots of descendants, and it's going to start with this boy, with this son, Ishmael. You see, in that moment, Hagar looked to God. She looked to God, and God responded to her in that moment. We need to be people that are continually looking to him. I want to just kind of touch really on promises that God has spoken over you as a church. Beacon Church here in Herne Bay. God has spoken promises over you. I want to encourage you, maybe challenge you, that as you look to step into the promises that God has given you, there might be opportunities that present themselves to you. They look good. Good opportunities. Could be good things to be involved in. Good links with the community. Good witness for the church. But I want to encourage you, look beyond whether something, that lo- whether something looks good and look to God. Because sometimes the good things aren't necessarily the right things. In and of themselves they can be good, but it might not be what God has for you. Sometimes the good things could be exactly what God has got for you. But to find that out you need to look to Him. Beyond whether this looks like a good opportunity, look to God and inquire of him. Remind yourself and remind one another of the promises that God has spoken over you. It's such a beneficial thing to do, a real faith-building thing to do. In preparation for our baby arriving, I thought it would be a good idea to get the house in order and one of the jobs I had was filing paperwork. I had about six years' worth of paperwork to get sorted out. It took me about a day and a half to work through everything. It seemed a good idea at the time. And as I was going through all this paperwork, I came across a load of uh, prophecies and promises that God had spoken over me that had been written down and over the church as well. And I've got them all together. I've got them in a folder. I think it's actually in my bag. And I've got them in a folder because I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to go back I'm going to read through all of these things and I'm going to see exactly what God has spoken over me. Because I've got ideas about where things may go in my life or different things that we're going to step into as a church, but actually I need to keep coming back and reminding myself of what God has said first and foremost because we want to be making the right decisions and stepping into the things that God has for us, 
not just things that appear to be good. So can I encourage you, remind yourself, keep coming back. What has God promised you? What has God spoken over you? The same as well for individual promises that God's spoken over you. What actually has he said? It's a good thing to do because it builds faith and it gives us guidance. You might be here thinking, do you know what, actually I don't have, God hasn't spoken any promises over me individually. I want to encourage you, ask him for promises. Ask him to speak his heart to you, that he would give you things for you to step into, and promises that he's going to fulfill in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and actually you're just kind of discovering who Jesus is and who God is and this whole thing about being in family and relationship. But there's a promise, there's actually a promise for you that God's already spoken. That promise is found in John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, we were created to have a relationship with God, but we find ourselves with a problem. And the problem is that while we were created for a relationship with God, we've sought to have a relationship with other things. We've looked to enjoy other things other than God. We've decided that I'm going to put my own pleasure, my own satisfaction before God's glory. The Bible speaks of these things, it calls them sins. It's things that get in the way of that relationship that we were intended to have. So there's a problem. And like Sarah, we can try and solve it by ourselves. We can try and come up with our own solution. What can I do to make things right? And we can feel that if we live right, if we can live a good life, if we can do enough, we can fix the problem. But we have to look beyond what is good and we have to look to God. Because ultimately there's nothing that we can do. You could live just a really excellent life, but it's still not enough to get you back into relationship with God. You see, Jesus came and Jesus said, you know, I'm going to deal with those things that you've done. And he took them upon himself and he dealt with them in order that we could have a relationship with God. You see, to receive the promise of eternal life, that's an eternity spent with God to know him, to know the Father and to know Jesus. To receive it, it's not about our own effort. It's not about doing good. But it's received through faith. It's about receiving a promise through faith, which is exactly what Abram did in the first instance. He received the promise of his inheritance, of this heir, of this son. He received it through faith, not by anything that he could do, but by trusting in God. So there's a promise. If you're thinking you haven't got a promise from God, you have. That's one. And there's more as you look through the scriptures. Just got one more point, and that is to persevere. We need to persevere. It was about three years ago, there was an advert on TV for, for Disney World in America. And this advert, they'd filmed parents telling their children that they were going. I don't know if anyone had seen it or remember it. It was the moment that they told them they were going to Disney World. It's just a really fun advert to watch because these children are just so excited. They're jumping all over the place, screaming, laughing, crying. And then I think that the tagline of it was, the magic begins the moment you tell them that there's something in the moment that you've given them this promise that you're going to take them to Disney World, that's when it begins for them. There's that excitement, and there's that expectation, there's that enjoyment, there's that joy that comes. 
even before the promise has been fulfilled, even before they're there, it's already started for them. And it can be like that when God gives us promises. We can start out just so full of enthusiasm, so full of excitement, so full of joy. But how do we keep going when time passes and we don't actually see the promises being fulfilled yet? When we go through difficulties, how do we keep going? How do we keep persevering? When we feel weak and worn out, how do we keep going? How do we keep trusting in that? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10, the Apostle Paul says this about Jesus. But he said to me that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul says this about himself, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, the key to perseverance is to rely on Jesus. It's to fix our eyes on him. It's not to get impatient and to try to solve it ourselves. It's about fixing our eyes on him. Because he has the grace and the power when we feel weak to come through for us. What I don't want to have come across this morning is that you leave here feeling fearful or worried that you're not allowed to make mistakes, that you're not allowed to make the wrong decision. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is just, we just need to stay close to Jesus, really. Make sure we're hearing his voice first and foremost. Make sure that we're enjoying this relationship with him where he can guide us and lead us. Because actually, we will make mistakes along the way. And maybe we'll pick the wrong decision. But as I read through the Bible, I see God using people who mess up a lot imperfect people and yet time and time again God comes and sorts it out he is gracious he is merciful he gives people what they don't deserve and actually you may have seen it already through your series in Genesis up to this point and as you read it through you'll see it more and more God using people that make wrong make wrong choices bad decisions pick the wrong option and yet just as just as he came to Hagar and in his grace and mercy, blessed her, even though she had done some bad things. God does that for us. There's always grace and mercy when we make bad decisions and we make bad choices. So please, don't live in fear of making the wrong choice, because God is bigger than that. But if you take anything from today, it's stay close to him, because you need to hear his voice. Not just look into what is good, but look into God. You see, our story in Genesis, this isn't the end of it, it continues. If we were to fast forward to chapter 21, Sarah has a son. They name him Isaac. And Isaac, he is the promised son that God had promised. And when you read scripture, you can read through from Isaac and you can read all the way through to Jesus. This is that family line, those descendants that God had given to Abram. Chapter 12, God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation. Chapter 21, Isaac is born. It's 25 years between the two. That is a long time to hold on to a promise, particularly if you can't see how it's going to be fulfilled. 
You see, naturally, Isaac shouldn't exist. There's no reason why he should exist if you were looking at it from a purely natural sense. And it was, I think it was Sarah's impatience that made her look for a solution to try and make something happen because she was running out of time as far as she was concerned. But extraordinary, miraculous things can happen in God's timing. John Stott describes our situation in Genesis like this. He says that Ishmael was born according to nature, but Isaac against nature, supernaturally through an exceptional promise of God. There's a huge difference there. That Disney advert, the parents have made a promise to their kids. They're going to take them to Disneyland. But the children, they're totally reliant on their parents getting them there. Parents wouldn't make a promise like that and just be like, off you go, make your own way there. That's not what parents do. The children don't get themselves there. It's the parents, they know the timings. It's the parents, they know the processes that need to take place. The parents know exactly where they're going. And they journey together as family. But it is entirely the parents' responsibility in that sense to fulfill that promise. And that's what it's like with us and God. When God gives us us a promise, he doesn't just say, here's your promise, just go and get on with it. He says, here's your promise, but we're journeying together as family. We call him Father God. He's our Father. And we're to be totally and utterly reliant on him. And he's the one who knows the timings. He's the one who knows the processes. He's the one who knows actually where the journey will end, where that final destination is. But we have to be totally reliant on him and journey together. And actually, there's a lot of fun to be had in the journey in. Sometimes it is hard, but there's a lot of joy as well. Because we were created to have a relationship with him, and that's what it's about. It's about sharing relationship. Can I pray for you?